Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Paul Gray here. Thanks so much for joining me again. We're in our fourth week in our series on mystics, mysteries, and the mystical realm, or the kingdom of God realm, or the unseen and eternal realm. We've been looking at mysteries, things that were always true, but not known, until God started revealing them to people personally through mystical experiences in the kingdom of God realm. Then those people, who can be described as mystics, make those mysteries known to others. I want to give you a new picture of God. Maybe it's not new to you, but it is to me. God's just been revealing this to me really today, Jesus in particular. He's asked me to see him as someone who continually has a twinkle in his eye. And that twinkle means I've got something really cool that you don't know yet, but I'm going to reveal it to you. And when you see it, you're going to go, whoa. Is that way cool or what? That's sort of the way Jesus is, I think, with us all the time. The Holy Spirit of Christ is in us and with us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just waiting to reveal to us mysteries that have always been true, that are true now and always will be true, but that we haven't known yet. And sort of with a twinkle in their eye, like, hey, I know you're worried about this. I know this doesn't look good. I know you wish that would have happened. I know you're concerned about this, but I know something you don't know, and I'm going to reveal it to you, and you're going to go, wow, that's way cool. All right. We've been looking at Steve McVeigh's 10 observations about mystics, and we've looked at a few of them so far. First, mystics value experience over sound doctrine or dogma. The second one, mystics ponder existential questions of life like, what is God like? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Third, mystics are comfortable with uncertainty. They don't have to have all the answers. Fourth, mystics value intuition. The spoken word of God, Christ in them, Christ in me, speaking to me. Mystics gets promptings and and knowings and revelations and leadings, and they take quantum leaps from not knowing something, something being unknown to them, to instantly knowing something. Mystics have let go of the small g God that religion has made in in man's image and put in a nice little box. Mystics have let go of that God of religion and embraced the only true God, the Trinity, Papa, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Today, the fifth observation that Steve has out of ten. Mystics tend to resent religious authority and authority in general. They're not scared of new ideas. They realize that no one group has all the answers. Now, I've been studying these 10 observations of Steve's. We're going to take another five weeks to cover the rest of them. And I think it's rare that a person has all 10 of these characteristics of mystics that we're looking at. 
But this one today seems to be in most, if not all, mystics. And I believe we are all mystics. We tend to, mystics, to resent religious authority and authority in general. We're not scared of new ideas. And we realize that no one has all the answers. Now, mystics are not upfront, in-your-face rebels and nonconformists. For the most part, we will initially fit in very well in a system, whether it's religion or business or sports or education. But we're not scared of new ideas. We fit in and we go along with the situation until we start to experience cognitive dissonance. In the field of psychology, cognitive dissonance occurs when a person holds contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values, and is typically experienced as psychological stress when we participate in an action that goes against one or more of these contradictory ideas. Now, in the spiritual world, one of the prime examples of this is when people are taught that God's love is unconditional, but then conditions are added to something that's supposed to be unconditional. In the religious world, when a religious leader says, God's love is unconditional, it never fails, no conditions, but then they start to give you conditions for it, mystics go, whoa, uh, no, I'm not going to just buy into that carte blanche. I'm going to question that. I'm going to go, if God's love is unconditional, then I'm not going to just blindly believe that there are conditions to it. I'm not going to go along with the herd mentality or go along with the crowd that goes, oh, well, if the leader said that, it must be true, even though it didn't make any sense. Mystics aren't willing to do that. We tend to resent religious authority that presents things that can't be true, but call themselves true. We're not scared of new ideas, and we realize that no one group has all the answers. Now, this characteristic of mystics is very apparent in many of us who have left organized religion, denominations, religious systems with hierarchy and doctrines and statements of faith, those types of things. Now, both people who have left religious systems and non-religious people who observe the mass exodus of organized religion talk about and write about a primary reason being the inability to reconcile cognitive dissonance that is obviously not reconcilable. I used to hear when I was a diehard organized religion follower, adherent, that I used to hear people say, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. And I just followed the party line saying and wrotely said, no, no, it's not full of contradictions at all. (laughs) But I knew it was. (laughs) And finally, I started going, ah, you know, I don't think I can sell what I've bought before. All right. A friend of mine who's in his 60s told me last week that when he was a young adult in a Sunday school class, He made a statement, something like, well, you know, even if there wasn't a God, we should still all love each other and love all other people. The leadership of the church couldn't handle that, he said. So guess what they told him? Don't come back. You're no longer welcome here. True story. Basically, the leadership was saying, we can't love you, and God certainly doesn't love you if you think God loves all people, because we know God doesn't love those people. 
He left organized religion 40 years ago and hadn't been back. And in my opinion, it's a good thing. See, once we leave the confines of religion, by the way, the root word of religion is the Latin word religare, which actually means to bind up. Once we leave organized religion, we look back and our eyes become more and more open. I want to read to you part of a great post from Richard Rohr. He posted this September 27th, 2020. The title is Margins Create Liminal Space. He says this, when we are content and satisfied on the inside of any group, we seem to suffer from a structural indifference. We do not realize that it's largely a belonging system that we've created for ourselves. It's not until we are excluded from a system, like my friend who was kicked out of church, it's not until we are excluded from a system that we are able to recognize its idolatries, lies, or shadow side. It is the privileged knowledge of the outsider, those of us who are no longer in it, that opens up the playing field. He says people can be personally well-intentioned and sincere, but structurally they cannot comprehend certain things. Then he talks about Jesus. He says in Jesus' ministry, he quotes the call of Isaiah to describe this collective social disregard. Here's the quote. You will hear and hear again and not understand. You will see and see again and not perceive. Isaiah predicted that in Isaiah 6, 9, and then Jesus quoted it in Mark 8, 18. See, insiders are by nature dualistic because they divide themselves from the so-called outsiders us, them, included, excluded, dualistic. Richard Rohr says it's for that reason that so many saints and mystics and even everyday people have chosen to live their entire lives at the edges of most systems. They take their small and sufficient place in the great and grand scheme of God by living on the edge of the inside. They build on a solid tradition from the inside, but from a new and dynamic stance on the edge, where they cannot be co-opted by a need for security positions or the illusions of power. Now, just as an aside, and I'll go on with Richard in a minute, I've certainly experienced that in a church world, and I've seen it in countless people all over the world today. Richard says, people such as Francis and Claire of Assisi try to live on the margins so they will not become enamored by the illusions and payoffs of prevailing systems. They know this is the only position that ensures continued wisdom, ever-broadening perspective, and even deeper compassion. I'm going to say that again. Living on the edge is the only position that ensures continued wisdom, ever-broadening perspective, and even deeper compassion. And he says such choices can be seen in the lives of monks and nuns and hermits or Amish communities. There's a group of my friends here in Lawrence, Kansas, where I live, who they call themselves the community, and I see that in them. He says there are softer forms, too, like people who just don't watch TV or people who live under the level of taxable income or people who make prayer a major part of their day, or people who deliberately place themselves in risky situations for the greater good. He said, it's ironic that we must go to the edge to find the center. But that's what prophets, hermits, and mystics invariably do. He concludes with saying, I want to acknowledge that there is a difference between being marginalized, 
forced, usually by prejudice and systematic discrimination out of the common benefits and goods that come from living in mainstream society. There's a difference between being marginalized and choosing to live on the margins. And he says both can be privileged places for spiritual growth and transformation. He went on to say in a series of posts for several days where he wrote examples from the broad traditions of Christian mystics and communities who sought or accepted their location on the margins as a place of creativity and interior freedom. And I see that going on all over the world today. There are little pockets, small groups of people who, who either meet online or at a coffee shop or in somebody's home or, you know, maybe a rented room in a restaurant or a motel or something like that. Not a big church with organized religion and 80% of the budget going towards building fun and insurance and utilities and all of that kind of stuff. No, not that, but people who live in little Groups, apart from organized religion, who build on what the first church knew, what the leaders of the first church knew, what Jesus knew, what Jesus revealed to Paul and to John and to other people. Again, Richard Rohr says, these people's insights, writings, rituals, art, these men and women and movements inspire us to cease protecting the surface of things and fall into the core of our own souls and experience. Well, last week, and this coming week, my two podcast interviews, I, when I'm recording this, I'm talking about this, my two podcast interviews with my friend Mo Thomas are up. Mo is a fascinating guy who's been a crash safety engineer for 30 years, first with General Motors, now with Ford. He played and coached basketball and tennis. He taught piano lessons. He tutored college math. He's a lover of children's literature. Dr. Seuss is his favorite author. The Little Prince is his favorite book. And he's publishing this month, as I'm recording this in November of 2020, he's publishing a book called Into the Abyss. Mo is certainly a mystic as we all are. Some are just not aware yet. And he posted what I'm going to read to you now this last week about Jesus appearing to a couple of his disciples. It's recorded in scripture uh, on the road to Emmaus. This was on the first Easter Sunday. This was the day Jesus rose from the dead after being crucified and died three days before. This is late in the afternoon on that first Easter Sunday. He says this, to those who believe in a, quote, plain reading of scripture, unquote, and in a parenthesis, there's no such thing, close parenthesis, to those who believe in a plain reading of scripture and assume they have zero bias in their interpretation, and in parenthesis it says everybody's got a bias, close parenthesis, to those who are quite confident that the entire collection of books in the Bible is a monologue dictated from God, and in parenthesis he said, it's a dialogue, not a monologue. He says, for those who feel that way, it may be worth reading Luke 24 again to see that Jesus had to teach them a new way to read scriptures. It was a way of interpreting that was previously unknown to them, a completely foreign hermeneutic. And just as an aside, that's part of what we teach in our new course, Pure Light Walker. We teach people a new hermeneutic, a new way to interpret scripture than what religion has taught us. Mo goes on to say, Jesus painted a completely different picture of God than what anyone had known before. And Mo asked this question. He says, how did those Jewish people, the disciples, who knew the scripture best, how did they miss him so badly and get it so wrong. 
He said they were so confident that they knew what God was like, so familiar with all the ancient stories. They'd memorized all the important sections of Scripture, ready and anxiously waiting for the Messiah to arrive, and they missed him altogether. And these were the disciples. (laughs) They even hung God naked on a cross to die. And Mo asked this question. He says, who are we expecting to return to earth? Someone altogether different than when he showed up in the flesh the first time? He said, didn't they expect a violent overthrow and a bloody destruction of all that were evil? He said, Jesus didn't come to affirm or slightly adjust the Old Testament Jewish religious system and his messianic notions of nationalistic notoriety. He said, no, his arrival was a complete deconstruction of their interpretations, a dramatic reframe of what God was like, a long-awaited unveiling of what had been mysteriously true eternally, which is his heart for the world he loved. Jesus came to show us a narrow way of life and love, a brand new creation humanity, a truth-infused strategy to defeat the power of evil. He says, we have so much to learn, so much, the end of what he wrote. Well, I want to wrap this up by taking a look at that passage that Mo's referring to, because I've come to realize we, you and me, I, we have so much to learn. Here's the passage, Luke 24, 13 to 35. Later that first Easter Sunday, two of Jesus' disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a journey of about seven or 17 miles, depending on which translation you read. They were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them in their journey. This was the Jesus they knew died. They saw him die. They saw him buried. They didn't know about the resurrection. He walked up and accompanied them on their journey. They were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside of them, for God prevented them from recognizing him. That was certainly a mystery, wasn't it? Jesus said to him, "Uh, you seem to be in deep discussion about something. What are you talking about so sad and gloomy? I believe he had a twinkle in his eye. Well, they stopped, and the one named Cleopas answered, Haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? Well, Jesus actually was the only one who was aware. Jesus asked, What things? And I think he had a twinkle in his eyes. Well, the things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. He was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful, and he had great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death, had him crucified. We'd all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. Early this morning, some of the women informed us something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and they found it empty. They claimed two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves, and we found the tomb exactly like the women said, but uh, nobody's seen him. Jesus said to them, with a twinkle in his eye, Why are you so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for Christ, the Messiah, to experience all these sufferings and then afterwards to enter into his glory? Then he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture, Old Testament, with a twinkle in his eye. 
He started from the beginning and explained the writings of Moses and all the prophets showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about himself. She had been a mystery all this time. Nobody knew or could see it until Jesus started revealing it to him on the road to Emmaus, the day he rose from the dead. Verse 28, as they approached the village, Jesus walked on a little ahead of them saying, I'm going to go on to a distant place. Well, they urged him to stay there and they pleaded, well, stay with us. It'll be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village, I believe with a twinkle in his eye. Joining them at the table for supper, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it in and gave it to them. All at once, their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus. Then suddenly in a flash, Jesus vanished from before their eyes with a twinkle in his eye. That would be a mystery, a mystical experience, wouldn't it? stunned, I guess, they looked at each other and said, why didn't we recognize it was him? Didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while we walked beside him? He unveiled for us such profound revelation from the scriptures. Well, they left at once and hurried back to Jerusalem, at least seven miles, maybe 17, to tell the other disciples. When they found the 11 and the other disciples all together in a room, they overheard them saying, Hey, it's really true. The Lord has risen from the dead. He even appeared to Peter. And of course, Peter was there. Well, then the two disciples said, let us tell you something. And they told the others what had happened to them on the road to Emmaus and how Jesus had unveiled himself as he broke bread with him. While they were still discussing this, inside of a room, other scriptures tell us, with the door locked because they were afraid of the Jews, Jesus suddenly manifested right in front of their eyes. He wasn't there, and he was there. Startled and terrified, the disciples were convinced they were seeing a ghost. It was a mystery, wasn't it? Standing there among them, Jesus said, I believe with a twinkle in his eye, be at peace. I am the living God. Don't be afraid. Why would you be so frightened? Don't let doubt or fear enter your hearts. For I am. I am. We know what that means. Come and gaze upon my pierced hands and feet. See for yourselves. It is I standing here alive with a twinkle in his eye. Touch me and know that my wounds are real. See that I have a body of flesh and bone. He showed him his hands and feet and let him touch his wounds. The disciples were ecstatic, yet dumbfounded. And unable to fully comprehend it. I mean, talk about mysteries. Talk about a mystical experience. Some of them were not yet mystics, though. They didn't yet embrace the mystery. It went against what they had been taught. But get this now. God is infinitely patient. God is pure light and pure love. And pure love, God never fails, never gives up, and never quits. So whether you have mystical characteristics or not yet, God will keep revealing his mysterious truth to you until you finally get it. He calls that the restoration of all things. So I encourage you and myself to be open, to be willing to value experience over sound doctrine, to ponder existential questions of life like, what is God like? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Be comfortable with uncertainty. Don't have to have all the answers. 
value intuition, value the spoken word of Christ, the living word, the word of God in you speaking to you. Take those promptings and knowings and revelations and follow them. Take quantum leaps from not knowing something, something being unknown to you, to instantly knowing something. See, mystics have let go of the small g God that religion has made in man's image and put in a nice little box. You do that too. Let go of that religion, small g God, and embrace the only true God, Jesus, Papa, the Holy Spirit, and continue to tend to resent religious authority and authority in general when it tries to tell you things that you know can't be true. Don't be scared of new ideas. Realize that no one group has all the answers. He thanks everybody for being with me today. And as we go on and wait for our next time together, when you think of Jesus, think of him with a twinkle in his eye, knowing that even though things might be bad with you, even though the election didn't go the way you wanted it, even though you might have gotten a bad health report or not be working right now or whatever, it's not that Jesus doesn't empathize with you or have compassion for you, but I believe Jesus always has that twinkle in his eye because he knows the big picture. He knows the end of the story. He knows the restoration of all things. He knows what he's doing right now to work all things together for your good. Think of Jesus that way. Love you all. Paul Gray saying, see you next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.